welcome to the Awakening Journey podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Shinko. The Awakening Journey isn't the easiest path of growth to choose, but it can be an exciting one. This is the podcast where I share my insights, all my channelings, my downloads of inspiration that I get from time to time. I also bring on special guests to give a different perspective on things. I don't know exactly where this path is taking me, but that's the fun part. I'm excited to see where this goes. Let's find out together. You're listening to the Awakening Journey podcast, and this is episode 31, Sonic Geometry. Not to be confused with sacred geometry. (laughs) It's actually one of the same. But I bring on a guest today that's going to really blow your mind. And in order to really comprehend what he shares, I would highly encourage you to go to the show notes and click on the link for the YouTube channel so you could visually see our conversation. So you can actually see what he shows me in the interview um, about how sacred geometry is the building blocks of life and he shows us how it all works together and it's one that you're definitely going to want to experience but you are welcome to listen to it here as well so let's get right to it hello everybody and welcome back to another episode thank you so much for joining me today We have a very unique topic that we are going to be discussing today, and I have an amazing uniquely guest to talk all about it. So we have the topic of sacred geometry is what I aimed for, but what I found was sonic, was it geometry? Geometry, yeah. (laughs) And I have our guest here who is going to speak all about this. His name is Eric Rankin. He is an author, researcher, speaker, and filmmaker. Welcome, Eric. Hi. Hello. So what, how did this all get started for you? Let's kind of dive into that. Uh, You know, I've always been a curious person. If I'm interested in something, whether it's religion or ancient history or something, I dive in it both feet. And about 12 years ago, the topic of sacred geometry sort of crossed my path. I've seen that pattern, you know, for the last 30 years of my life. Uh, The only thing I have of it is that what most people call the flower of life is sacred geometry. It's the intersection and overlap of circles, but it's very specific in its design. And people would say it's very meditative to draw that just by drawing it with a compass Um, that it's somehow opening your mind up. So I experimented with it. I read a couple of books. It was interesting to me, but it kind of just reached a a level like, well, okay, there I've learned as much as you can learn. There are books, probably the two most well-known primer books would be by Drunvalo Melchizedek. They're paperback books, goes really deep into the design and the possible meanings and significance of what sacred geometry is. Because um, this pattern that I just showed you on my t-shirt has been found all over the world before we thought cultures were communicating with each other, which is very interesting Hmm. that patterns and symbols come to our species long before recorded history as we know it. And we know that about this. Virtually every continent has some version of this exact pattern, whether it's a full circle or just the smaller, what's called the uh, seed of life, which is a smaller representation instead of the flower of life. 
I'm like, well, that's fascinating. And I certainly don't have anything to add to this story. Um, you know, I, you get overwhelmed when you read how much research has been done. And um, I was drawn to a place called the Integratron out in Joshua Tree, California, or right next mm -hmm. to it. Okay. And uh, since then, I, this is going back about 10 years ago. I'm celebrating 10 years of doing hosting workshops and research that I've been doing there. And it's a fascinating structure built by a man named George Van Tassel, supposedly with the assistance of extraterrestrial uh, beings in 1953. And it's a dome, two-story domed building. It's an amazing sound resonator, frequency resonator. Um, potentially, it was an electromagnetic device that was going to discharge uh, enormous amounts of negative ions as a sort of a cellular rejuvenation. When I there the first time, I had a profound experience. There were gongs playing up in the upper dome part, and I happened to be downstairs, which is where the healing was supposed to be received. Most people stay up top to, to listen to whatever frequencies are being performed. Yeah. And I got all kinds of information about what we would call sacred geometry. I was seeing the, the flower of life pattern. I was be, being told things about the Integratron and about frequency that while I'm a musician, really, I was thinking about frequency in whole different ways. So I went back and um, kind of opened the door a little bit to diving into more frequency stuff. But as I did, I kept seeing people refer to sacred geometry and the frequencies of geometry. Um, Pythagoras himself, a lot of people are familiar with the quote, um, music of the spheres. But the whole quote is actually, there is geometry in the humming of the strings and there is music in the spacing of the spheres. And um, my research, ultimately, why I've been on shows like Ancient Aliens and why I, and Gaia TV and, and made these films that I did, Sonic Geometry videos that you can find at sonicgeometry.com, is so much information started coming through, but in it, it seemed to be rel related to sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. More importantly, after the first video came out in 2013, I believe it was, I met an artist uh, named Michael Evans, lives in Southern California where I live, and he introduced me to a shape that made sacred geometry jump out of a two-degree two plane of existence and into three, and actually, as Buckminster Fuller would call, 4D plane of existence. Huh. I'm going to be sharing those things with you as we talk. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. So when you were in this, it, it's like a dome you were saying in Joshua Tree itself I mean the energy there it's, is yes. electric, right yeah. I personally have never been there but even just thinking about it talking about it I can kind of feel the energy coming in right it's just this it it's hard to describe so I'm just getting chills even thinking about the experience that you had so did you have a healing from that experience um you know a healing in a physical way I can't well actually that is not true now that I recall back can't believe I can't believe this and there's a truck backing up. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was here. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I did actually. So okay. I had to read even 10 years ago, I'm 61 now, 51 then and prior five years before that, I started to read, need to wear reading glasses. Mm. I wanted to read fairly small text. And after coming home from the Integratron from that very first uh, session, I went back to read some stuff. I was sitting in my back patio. It was bright daylight, but still I would need my readers. Mm -hmm. and 
gotten them as I went to sit in the lounge chair with this book and I opened up and I could find that I could read this text perfectly. And I'm like, holy, ah. is this related to the Integratron? And it only, the effect lasted for maybe a week or so yeah. and then went back to needing glasses, but there definitely was something that happened immediately following my uh, experience at the Integratron. So, and then as far as opening up to what became these videos called Sacred Geometry, um, that definitely is related to somehow the Integratron of all the research I've done there, yeah. personal experiences that are literally kind of out of this world involving sort of what you would call extraterrestrials. I have never seen um, any type of being I would call an extraterrestrial, but I actually think that uh, much of contact that you might want to call extraterrestrial or multidimensional or something we can't explain off-planet contact is just happening directly into our minds for people who are even unknowingly ready and willing to receive information. Um, we're looking for, even though we're seeing them now, uh, you know, the Pentagon here in the United States is releasing information about uh, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, that we can't explain, that is flying in ways that we have never manufactured a craft at speeds mm -hmm. that um, It's an exciting moment, but I think that our, our quest for, you know, meeting a, a another species that still is in physical bodies using propulsion systems and ships um, are probably just a next level of us the higher advanced beings are just, we don't need any of that. We're just gonna come communicate with you. Yeah. And I believe that and I believe I've had many of those experiences and truly what became the, the Sonic Geometry videos was such an intervention at my office of all places. I'm wearing a tie and, and not a suit, but business clothes. And they, I heard a, a voice speaking for a collective, go into your uh, conference room and to the whiteboard and we're gonna give you some instructions. And the first one was to draw a triangle. And mm. I drew it and I'm like, I have no idea who I'm hearing from and why I'm listening and why I'm willing to do this. But I drew a triangle and I uh, hated math in, in school, failed geometry, algebra. That is not my, my was not my field at all. So this yeah. information coming to me was, was pretty crazy. And, um, I just followed the guidance of this communication process for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And it looked, this whiteboard ended up, this ginormous whiteboard ended up looking like the movie A Beautiful Mind. I didn't know if I was going crazy or <laughs> something really significant. Yeah. And since we produce those videos, physicists, mathematicians, people from all over the world in the millions have watched these videos and said absolutely there is significant mind-blowing information to the point where the first half of Pythagoras's quote there is geometry in the humming of the strings or vice versa mm -hmm. there's harmony in the geometry un, un incredible to me I'm the person that discovered what those harmonic intervals were right. revealed in geometry and it ends up being uh, what we call a major chord in music it's yeah. what you hear if you're a musician, um, when you hear a song start, it's almost any song start. If it starts in a minor key, your longing and urging is to hear it resolve itself in a major key. If it starts in a major key, it means things are going right. Um, in a movie, couples falling in love, the king and queen are being announced, the war is being won, whatever. So we almost seem to have this programming that tell us, tell, tells us that a major chord is an affirmation of 
this is correct. This is, um, this is something to remember in a positive way. And of all things, geometry reveals that exact major chord. So that's pretty much launched me in a way that in, in a, a direction I never imagined my life going. <laughs> that's incredible because see, you think of sacred geometry, it's symbols, shapes, you know, it's two dimensional, right? That's all mm -hmm. we've ever really experienced, right? Most and people, that makes yeah. sense, right? Mm -hmm. But now I have this feeling that it's coming up. And it, and that's, I feel why I've been drawn to record this episode. Yeah. And I know in your videos, you were talking about the significance of 432. Can yeah. you explain a little bit about that? Well, 432 um, is really interesting. And it, it launches one of the most incredible mysteries I think there is on this planet. Um, mythologist Joseph Campbell, who wrote the books about the hero's journey, mm -hmm. he so discovered that many cultures on top of their myths had numerical codes in them and he called it mathematical mythology and he was really shocked to discover same number sequences and they could be with decimal points or zeros behind them but the actual number sequence 432 being one of them 72 being one 144 360 all these numbers kind of jumped out at him but 432 was the number that he found most often he goes what is going on with this number. And he could never really uh, answer his own question of why that number was so significant. Mm -hmm. The time since his death, there's been a lot of research and people going back to holy sites and sacred temples, even like the Great Pyramid of Giza. And if you just create a percussion um, inside the king's chamber, this is the supposedly the burial chamber where there's a box that looks like a coffin, mm -hmm. all now are, are pretty much agreed on that the Great Pyramid of Giza was never a burial chamber. There are no markings in carvings, paintings, uh, anything that would suggest other burial chambers like King Tut's uh, full right. of facts and paintings and history. Uh, and uh, a famous recording artist, uh, Michael Halpern, went into the King's Chamber and just slapped this uh, granite sarcophagus, just moving air inside the chamber and it made a tone, this whoa, 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 whoa. That tone, mm -hmm. 432 hertz. That's just or, and octaves of it down. An octave is mathematically exactly half or exactly double, but musically means the same note down the scale, down the scale, or up the scale, up the scale. So 432 half step down is 216. Mm -hmm. 216 is a significant number. And then half again is 108. There's 108 beads in a mala necklace. Right. There's 100, 108 shows up. Um, if you've ever seen Buddha, where he has the what looks like little curly locks of hair. Yeah, you, you can't really see it, but yeah. Those are not curly locks of hair. That story is instead of the big, happy, bald, fat Buddha, this <laughs> fit Buddha is when he was supposedly meditating in the hot sun. And he was so connected to nature that snails noticed him sweating and one by one climbed up his spine and positioned himself on his head to cool him. So those little curls and circles are actually snails and there's 108 of them. Interesting. It is like we are being clued in without knowing that we're being clued into something significant and 432 seems to be the key that turns a lock that opens a mystery box that just keeps going deeper and deeper. Speaking of the Great Pyramid of Giza, if you take its perimeter at its base, 
lay it out on a straight line and multiply that straight line times 43,200 of its mm -hmm. length, you get the circumference of planet Earth. And if you measure the Great Pyramid of Giza from the ground to its tip and multiply that times 43,200, you get the height, the, the uh, not diameter, the radius of the Earth from the core to the polar. Hmm. So there is some form of communication that has been happening through numerical codes and clues and 432 seems to be right in the middle of it. So that then leads me to believe that this isn't something that came from Earth. This isn't something that originated here. I believe that um, it's both coming from Earth as its source of information, but able to make sense of it is not from here. That there is an intelligence that predates us and is still with us and still communicating with us through these number sequences, um, trying to get our attention. And I believe that ultimately what the significance of 432 will be, will be as a frequency. Um, our instruments to 432, which they many used to be. We can find ancient um, instruments from indigenous cultures, like flutes that still yeah. hold their tone. And yeah. we find this, it's very crazy because we tune, the 432 happens to be an A right in the middle of the keyboard, mm -hmm. right of middle C. That's what we tune in Western tuning all over the world, all symphonies, anybody that plays what we call Western tuning music is based on that middle A. Well, there was a time in history when that middle A was 432 and it's called classic tuning, but we ended up kind of fudging it up to 440 vibration cycles per second. Um, and then we even did something else that took us further off the track of the mystery is we have this tuning process that we called equal temperament where we fudge all of these precise intervals as nature would reveal them to us. We fudge them so they would sound good to our ears but in nature, it would not sound good. And the higher up in octaves you went, if it was low here and was slightly off, by the time you keep expanding these harmonic intervals, they become not even harmonic at all. Like if you were a dolphin listening to tones, not in the low hundreds of cycles per second, but in the tens of thousands of cycles per second, and you started at this dissonant way we tune instruments, there would be nowhere close to a harmony or nature uh, and dolphins would just go, what is that noise you've been exposing yourself to? Yeah. You know, to <laughs> the modern to? music, yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Now in your videos, you did mention that there was an interdimensional race that came to earth and brought this knowledge and this information, tried to teach it to humans. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Um, that race is known as the Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki over the past 6,000 years have kind of gotten a bad rap because supposedly there was the old story of good and evil battling itself out even then. There were creator gods. The story is we are their creation. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that even if you go back to the book of Genesis and reread it, rather than just skipping over it, you realize there is a plurality there. It's like we are making humans in our image. And it starts with Adam, but uh, people who follow the Anunnaki story is like, it's not a singular Adam, it's the Adamic race. Right. And it was humanoid creatures that mated with uh, female beings that were here that were humanoid enough 
to procreate with, and we are the engineered um, outcome of that process. Now, what's really interesting for anybody rolling their eyes here about this Anunnaki story is that 6,000 years ago, now we, we can go back way past 6,000 years ago and find mysterious anomalies in our history. Um, great, the, the Sphinx in, in Egypt. Most researchers now think that it's way older than 6,000, 5,000 years old, that it's maybe 12,000 years old. And this is proven by the erosion down its back, that that was water that kept eroding. Um, there's a temple in Turkey called Gobekli Tepe that is about 12,000 years old. It was buried by people after they built it. They built a, buried it in a mountain that looked so big and natural that no one ever thought to look for an entire more or less city underneath it. I mean, it took more effort to build the mountain than to actually construct this elaborate temple complex down below. But in, re in recent times, let's call it humanity's reboot. Mm -hmm. 6,000 years ago, archaeologists pretty much agree that our species all over the world was hunter-gatherers. We were living a very simple existence. We weren't farming. We had to follow clean water. We had to follow living food supply. We had to follow uh, food that we could gather and turn into meal or store. Um, very rudimentary, transportable, simple housing, clothes made out of of animal skins all over the world. Up until about 6,000 years ago, that's the human experience. Then in one place, in one time, Samaria, ancient Samaria, where modern day Iraq is, we get this explosion of technology. And when I say an explosion of technology, it's not the tweaking of pre-existing technology. It's technologies that did not exist as far as we know on the planet. And that includes a written language, a unique counting system. Right boom to weem fabric, um, a pottery wheel to make pottery, uh, the arch, the plow, the wheeled and axled vehicle, a sailboat, a pyramid building, running water, multi-layered, um, what we would call a residential neighborhood with mm -hmm. buildings. All these things just showed up like blink of an eye in one place. And we can read there text. We can read these little tablets that we wrote, and we just found them about 70 years ago. We did not know they existed. And there's tens of thousands of these because they were baked. They're about the size of an iPad, and they were written on with a style, a stylus, and then be hard. And we found a bunch of them, and we can read this language called cuneiform. So if we read into it, we go, how did, how did they do this? How did they create advanced mathematics and language, written language? and all these inventions, and they said, we didn't. Visitors came from the sky that we call Anunnaki, the royalty who came from the sky or relatives of kin that came from the sky. And they showed us, they taught us these things. So you can roll your eyes at this, or you can say that is a real mystery. And they actually explained it in a way that was not mythology. They understood mythology. They wrote the first epic myth called the, the Epic of Gilgamesh. So they knew the story storytelling was and myth, but they never represented what their discoveries and how they came to be as myth. They said these were creatures, humanoid, very tall people that came from the sky and shared this information with us. That is very interesting because that's that, it does follow a lot of the teachings and um, lessons and things that I've learned and I've been reading about and kind of following. And yeah, it's it, 
humanity, I don't think could have evolved the way that it has without external help. Um, there are physicists, I'm friends with a physicist named Nassim Harriman. He's kind of a rebel physicist, uh, believes he has actually solved the holy grail in physics, connecting microphysics, quantum level physics to big level physics, astrophysics. Mm -hmm. Those two aspects of physics work fine in, independently of each other. They don't communicate with each other yet. We can't apply the rules of quantum physics in the very small particle physics to huge physics. Right. And Nassim believes that he has gotten the formula to do that with. Um, and he said uh, on my radio show, I have a radio show called Awakening Code, um, mm -hmm. he's in the studio and he said, if you just took cell division the way it's been taught to us and try and just create one aspect of us, like a human eye, this thing that's capable of focus and light and sending electrical impulses to a brain that can then re reconstruct that in the in darkness. There's no light coming through our eye. It's brought back into electromagnetic signals that travel through our optic nerves into our brain and reconstruct it as color and form and dimension. And he goes, you just try and evolve an eye randomly. That alone would take you hundreds of millions of years, much less its connection to everything else. Yet. If you have some sort of external source that is either guiding the process very slightly, and he compared it to a blind person solving a Rubik's cube. Give a blind person a Rubik's cube and say, hey, solve this. Millions of tries and wouldn't even know if he did it right. But if you have someone on the outside, almost like saying, playing the warmer, colder game. Mm -hmm. Move just got you a little closer. Oh, that move got you a little further away. Just a little bit of guidance and all of a sudden, a, per, a blind person can solve the Ruby's cube in, you know, in five minutes. So that's what he believes as well, that there is an external intelligence. And by external, it's also internal. It's a communication band like an infinity loop that's, yes, it's outside of us, but it's also passing through us, almost like a biofeedback intelligent loop. But there is an intelligence out in the field that's circling its way through our design and then back into the field to pick up more information and then back through us. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm a, I'm an actual believer in the engineer story. There was a kind of a scary, scary movie called uh, Prometheus where there were engineers and they would find planets that could support life and they would sacrifice themselves and all the little DNA strands would go down in the water and the air and, and create life. But if you really start to think about our experience that we have bodies that require certain nutrients and minerals and nutrition that come from plants and that we have in us a swallowing system and a taste bud system and a nasal system that gives us smell. And then think that there are these plants out there that not only provide the nutrients that these bodies need, but they happen to be in these delightful color, wonderful smelling, tasting, bite-sized, hand-sized packages, that tells me that there is some sort of- There's a big connection, yeah. Scheme of our whole experience. Yeah. Like trees. Trees breathe in what we breathe out, we support them, and we breathe in what they breathe out. Yeah. To me, that is not by chance. That is all a part of a grand, grand engineering scheme. So whether it's the big G God or the little G gods that used information that we don't yet have access to, but we're getting closer to by the day. 
I mean, we, that we crack the DNA sequencing code, that we can clone. We're becoming close to these engineering sky traveling gods that we said couldn't have existed 100 years ago. If we fly to Mars, we'll be extraterrestrials on Mars. Yeah. So the idea that, you know, to think that it's ridiculous to imagine uh, visitors, I, I think, is, is uh, almost a moot point these days. You can't deny that there's got to be other life forms or energies or beings out there because we have one small planet, but when you look out into the universe, you look outside at night, you can see billions of stars. Like explain who's who's living on those, who's living over right. there, right? Like right. you can't say Statistic oh, those are just right. balls of light. Right. <laughs> Statistically, it would seem ridiculous to assume that we are the only a planet orbiting a star supporting yeah. life. Uh, that's that statistically, I think, is just almost absurd to imagine. When you talk about those billions of stars and potential billions of planetary systems, that's just in our little galaxy. Just now there are billions of galaxies that the Hubble telescope, you know, the day that they discovered that, um, I, I, I was shocked. I think I was, I don't remember how old I was, in my 20s maybe in the, the Hubble, created this field of, uh, they took a posted side stamp photograph of deep space where they could see nothing. In their most powerful land-based telescopes, it was a piece of sky that just looked featureless, black. And they used the Hubble telescope on it for days. And when they got the picture back, they thought, oh my gosh, look at all those stars. How could we not have seen them? They weren't stars. They were thousands of galaxies in this one little teeny piece of space that looked black. So yes, the idea that there statistically must be life in other dimensions, uh, I think is almost a no brainer. Yeah, and you know, speaking of lives in other dimensions, we know that there's many people out there who can connect with this energy and can translate it and interpret it and speak it out. And on your website, you actually have a channeled message to humanity that really piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. So um, that's something that I definitely want our listeners to go to and check out and listen, but I just kind of want to touch on it for a little bit and just figure out like, how did this message come to you? Who is this person that shared this message with you? Uh, well, I have been quote unquote, I don't know if you want to use the word contacted, but I definitely or downloaded or channeling or something has happened to me maybe well, no, it's it's happened quite a bit. I, I, I have to admit it now that from when I used to say it happened once, oh, it happened twice, a few times, now it's happened quite a bit. Yeah. Um, the sonic geometry information was channeled, downloaded information. And at the end of both of those videos, I got the feeling like we're setting ourselves up to be aware of the geometric, frequency-based, mathematically perfect essence of our, of our lives. And that there's... a an intelligence that already knows this and wants to communicate with us. Mm -hmm. And us learning about sacred geometry, sonic geometry, sound frequency, and all these things, um, that we might be preparing ourselves for this grand moment of contact where it just becomes irrefutable that we're hearing from and receiving information from a, a higher source. Mm -hmm. So the first two videos end that way, but the third video is actually one of those conversations. Like if you're prepared enough and willing enough and feel safe enough, we're going to share not just the keys and codes of the communication process, but you're going to actually hear now a communication. 
you're going to hear a message. And that message came through. I don't remember it exactly, but it was like, like one of revealing ourselves. You have called us many things. You have known us in many ways. We have uh, been monitoring your existence for a long time, not only monitoring, but are a part of its creation story, um, all for the good. You have, as humans, have an important role to play in the grand scheme of things. You have free will, you have choice, you have struggle, you have emotion, you have weak forces, um, you feel things, you get sick, you live in these bodies that are pretty messy, excrete all kinds of fluids and things. <laughs> but you have something to add to the story that we know we abandoned and we can't get back ourselves. And mm -hmm. almost suffering, um, what is the purpose of those things? And so in our wondering, what is what could be the benefit of suffering, of frailty, of sickness, of death, of any fear, we're going to create you that's going to experience those things. And not just the scary parts, but also all the beautiful tactile things that we no longer in our light bodies can do. We can't touch a tree. We can't smell a rose. We can't go swimming. Um, you are that species that not only does all those things like other animals, but you have a consciousness um, capacity to think about your experience and what part might you be playing in the grand scheme of things. So it was like more or less, almost like a welcome. Like yeah. we're here, we, we have us who are communicating with right now, there might be other forms of an extraterrestrial intelligence that might think um, the in entire universe would be better off without us. Because it's like, if you, if you just give somebody free will and it's a struggle to survive, they're just gonna kill each other off and and ruin their planet. And they, we almost they did. Maybe wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if you said, if if you're worried about like the Greys, or if you follow the uh, you know the extraterrestrial pantheon of all the different ca characters in the the grand space opera, there's the good guys and the bad guys more or less. And the bad guys are like, wow, let's get rid of the, or control the the humans. Right. It's like, well, are you are you good guys or bad guys? And both of them think they're the good guys. The, the ones who want to see us awaken and fully understand who and what we are and where we came from and keep expanding into unity consciousness throughout the entire galaxy and universe mm -hmm. serve that. That's really what we were going for. And the ones that think, no, they're just going to screw it all up, um, also think they're doing the right thing by throttling our experience and keeping us under control because we're just a danger to ourselves and we're a danger to our planet. Well. I mean, at, at one point you could agree with that, but I think at this point now enough people are waking up that and seeing the reality that what is actually happening is this energetic pull, this ascension, right? We're rising up. And Definitely happening. Exactly. There's no stopping it. The momentum is so strong behind it that it's just, there's no, it, we don't even have to try anymore. Yeah. We just and it might not require all the, as many people as you might think to create the shift. The number 144,000 keeps gonna ask you about you. And, you know, in the, in the Revelation Bible story, it's 140,000 people that d d ascend directly to heaven while everybody else got to fight Armageddon down here on earth. Mm -hmm. But what 144,000, the ascension process is just learning the secrets, learning the keys and codes and applying them the correct way to shift an entire planet full of almost 8 billion people, you don't need everybody. You just need enough. So 
that's what gives me hope is we're not trying to shift a majority. We're not trying to fight in the polarity. We're calmly holding a space as information is coming to us. And we're seeing that it connects, reverberates, synthesizes with itself in the most beautiful way. And that is truly what we're awakening up to. And I have lots of little models to show you the geometric aspect of that patterning. Um, you know, and I don't know how long we have, but I want to make sure we get to them. <laughs> yeah, and and that's just it, is it the sacred geometry is literally the building blocks of all of this. Like I believe so. It that's where it all began. And we don't understand it because it, we just go about our lives, living our lives as robots. But until you stop and start asking questions, start looking into things, then you're going to start discovering this amazing work that you have been working on. Well, I'm I'm hopefully about to blow your mind and anybody that happens to be watching. Please, yes. Um, when when we talk about sacred geometry revealing the the sacred, you know, intimate, mathematically perfect design of, of all things, I think is correct. But if you're just talking about this two-dimensional version of what right. sacred geometry is, you're just going on a gut feeling. You are not seeing what I believe sacred geometry is trying to convey to us. So I will take people back to the movie Contact, if you remember that. And yeah. Joe Foster, one hears information uh, and they download hundreds, tens of thousands of pages to build a machine, but these pages of information don't make any sense to them. And she goes to the billionaire who has funded this research and he goes, you're just not thinking like the intelligence that sent you this information. You're thinking of it like flat pages in a note and they're thinking multidimensionally. So until you think multidimensionally, you'll never figure it out. She goes, well, there's, there's no clue. There's no primer to give us what this multidimensional you know, message is. And he goes, there is. There are registration marks on down in the corner that don't look like they mean anything, but they open up dimensions. And that's the same thing with sacred geometry. So let's, um, yeah. let's take one petal. So sacred geometry, we all understand, is looks like flower petals, six flowers. Right. Yeah. Repeat. And, and so let's look at one of these flower petals. Looks just like this. Now, Interestingly enough, to be sacred geometry, it has to be a certain arc. It has to be 60 degrees of arc. And in my two videos, I discuss pretty much at length why and how 60 is such an important number to us. Even today, 60 is a number we deal with 60 seconds to a minute, a minute to an hour, and 60 nautical miles to one degree of latitude and longitude. And we measure things by 60, and yet we have forgotten why it's important. So you take this shape, and I mentioned this artist, Michael Evans, who lives not far from right. me, never heard of him. And he said, I don't think it's this shape. He goes, I think it's this shape, that it's multidimensional. And right. it doesn't hit you right away why this might be so powerful, but I will explain why. Here is the holy grail of geometry. If you talk to physicists, mathematicians, people that study, because many people now agree that, and we're talking top level researchers, agree that there is a geometric aspect to our universe. And we think that because it seems like plants and growth follow a geometric structure. Flowers and, and the, whether it's the Fibonacci spiral or the helical coil or anything, they're following geometry as if the geometry geometric grid is there, it's just invisible and they're just moving into it. So here is what 
experts will tell you this has to be what the most basic element, meaning it is the holy grail of all geometry, structural geometry. This is called a tetrahedron. Mm -hmm. It's um, structurally rigid. It's very strong. It's stronger than a cube. It satisfies many interesting things, but there are people like Alan Watts, if I don't know if you know who he is, a British philosopher, yep. did a whole uh, lecture on what is our obsession with straight lines when everything around us in nature seems to be wiggly? That's the word mm -hmm. he used, wiggly. Trees and sky and ocean waves and mountains, everything is wiggly, us. And yet we're obsessed with ironing out and straightening up Perfection. and straight between us. It's because it's easier. It's easier to start in straight lines and hard, rigid angles and flat planes and like this than it is to imagine something else. Um, so if, if the world is wiggly and then um, Walter Russell is another famous philosopher and geometer who was a friend of Tesla back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, in his research, he said, all direction is curve and all motion is spiral. Well, if all direction is curve and all motion is spiral, this is wrong. This doesn't invite curve or right. spiral in it. And yet this is what we think the universe must be based on as a tetrahedral design because it can't get smaller. It can't get smaller than this. But if you curve the lines, if you feminize the lines, if you soften the lines and start here, you can make a smaller geometric form and it satisfies all the requirements. It has surfaces. It has edges and it has points. So this shape, which Michael Evans called the trion ray, has surfaces, has edges and points, but it has only three edges and three surfaces and two points instead of four edges, four surfaces and four points. So now this is all of a sudden being called, could this be the God particle? What is this shape and how does it work? Well, let's take this shape and overlap it into this sacred geometry design. And before we do that, because we're going to show you how a one of the most famous philosophers, mathematicians, uh, geometers, Buckminster Fuller, arrived at something that became an obsession of his. And he started with a natural phenomenon called the overlapping or the closest connection of spheres. So these are styrofoam balls. You can do this with quarters, you can do it with any round object, but it, if you put one in the middle, six will go around it perfectly and not only touch the middle, but they will touch each other. So this is the beginning, obviously hexagonal design, built from feminine geometry. We call feminine geometry if it has curve like this. Yeah. And he said, what if we stack three balls to where now they're also touching the middle but they're also touching each other. And then you take three more again and put it on the other side, it reveals this structure. Huh. And structure is the smallest thing. It's 12 balls around one. So it's a total of 13, which invites Metatron's cube, which is 12 balls right. around one. And what it launches in straight line geometry is called the vector equilibrium. And it's this, I took those balls and spread them out right. and straight shapes. And there's 12 vectors. And what is so unique about this shape is that it has a true center point that no other solid geometric form has. It has a center point where every line coming out of it 
is the same exact length and offset by the same angle. No other geometry has that in elemental geometry and mm -hmm. this has it. Well, what if this in all of its beautiful and Buxminster Fuller said, this is the geometry of creation. This is God's design. This is what the universe is made of, but there's a problem with it. He went from curve and he, and he went back to straight. Mm -hmm. he, you know, because it's easier for us to grasp what I think is really trying to be exposed from this using the same exact model is taking this for every one of those straight lines, this pulse wave, and building this. Okay. Same exact model. It has six squares and it has eight triangles. It has the same center point, but now everything is a pulse and a wave and a like a dimensional vibration instead of straight lines. So it's more feminine in nature. Yeah, absolutely, from the get-go. And if you can see it, it has these four radiuses now. We no longer have straight lines. We have, there's a pink orbit system, and here's a green orbit system, and a yellow orbit system, and an orange orbit system. And if you could take all the white pipe cleaners away, you would see the model of what we call an atom. You would Great. See it's the building blocks of exactly. everything. You yeah. would see protons and electrons orbiting and a dead center. So all of a sudden, and then like, well, what does this reveal? So let's take this star pattern shape, 12 vectors coming out, but each vector is now dimensional instead of just a, a straight imaginary line. Mm -hmm. What you have is this. This is the core, and I call this the genesis structure because this can't get any smaller. It's perfectly balanced. It follows Buckminster Fuller's design, mm -hmm. has all the radius. And if we connect it, we had exactly what I just showed you. If we put all the connections on the outside, we have those orbits. Now, there's a point to all this. <laughs> my mind gets crazy. Is I'm going to show you this model. And you can maybe see that model again, that star cluster hiding in there. Mm -hmm. Right at the beginning, yeah. So what I did is I just let myself follow the geometry of this unique pattern. And I just kept building and building and building up with it. And I lifted it off the table and hiding in it was <gasps> the five in 2D. What? So we, you can reverse engineer from 2D to four dimensions, four orbits, or start huh. Buckminster's pattern with the Tryon ray design, and then get yourself back to the. I primer. love that you use gold in the bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reflects. I, I when I share this, I don't always share it because it's kind of fragile and it's years old. Uh, but when when I take that and do lectures with it and all show all these models, who uh -huh. and all, there's a collective almost gasp in a room when I reveal this structure revealing safety. It's so simple. Like you, you don't think that, that it, that's even the part of the flower of life because no. the flower of life is yeah. so beautiful and intricate and you know, we, we just take it for what we've been told right. that it is. But yeah, actually you took it a whole step further. It's, it's holding way more information. It, it all of a sudden opens doors to where if these are pulses or vibration pulses, yeah in their 
simplest geometric expression, which can't get smaller than three. If you go to three, then you're back to two and you're in 2D flat sacred geometry again. Mm -hmm. In this design is not truly only 3D, it has four axes, not just three, not just height with depth. <laughs> it's this unique balance of four, but it ends up explaining so many strange things because it invites entanglement. You can see that these are overlapping spheres. They're not spheres that are just uh, statically touching each other. No, like because they're connected. They're overlapping. So when we overlap and we use the word entanglement, like mind, uh, telekinesis, or mm -hmm. um, sensory perception, that is entanglement. This geometry not only supports the geometry, it supports the micro and the macro. I have one last, uh, where is it? So here's an even more complex structure of showing that this is much bigger. Mm -hmm. It's the same little star pattern, way beautiful yeah. thing, <laughs> but it's expanded out twice and yeah. it expand out infinitely and be the exact same pattern made up of its exact same pattern. And every one of these little balls, the nodal point is launching the exact same pattern. So the implication is, if you are one of these balls in this geometric matrix that is infinite, you are the center of this geometric model because right. you are one of these zero points that expands out from you observing the all the rest of it. It opens up a, a huge, a huge yeah. thing to, to contemplate. I know. Now all I'm going to do is thinking after. because, <laughs> But that's the thing, too, is like, with quantum entanglement that's what we're stepping into that's the Absolutely. next phase of human evolution we're already starting to gut know what people are thinking we can read a person just from looking at their body shape their mm -hmm. their language right that is the first step i'm getting chills even thinking of it of telekinesis of of not telekinesis telepathic Could, both, both telekinesis both if you are if yeah. you are in a quantumly entangled universe Mm -hmm. Thoughts, I don't think it's impossible that you, the energy of your thoughts can merge and move with the energy of an, what we call a solid object. There is no such thing as a solid object. You just keep no. looking smaller, smaller, smaller. You just find atoms in us and atoms in, in other materials. So I'm constantly thinking back. I, Jesus is a mystery to me, you know, the, the, his healings and the things he could do and the miracles. Mm -hmm. If somehow were a master of understanding the quantumly entangled universe, you could do miracles because they would not be miracles. They would be things that are perfectly explain explainable in a quantumly entangled universe. And here's the model. I just showed you the model that I believe. Um, and I had a uh, one of the world's top physicists uh, was visiting me before uh, he was a guest on my radio show. Mm -hmm. and to my apartment where I'm sitting right now. He looked at these models, first said, where'd you get your physics degree? And I said, well, I've never taken physics in my life. <laughs> and he was impressed. And he says, and he was looking at the big model I just showed you. And he says, that is the most beautiful model of the quantum mm -hmm. entangled universe I've ever seen. Yeah. So this is, uh, his name is um, Manas Kafatos. People can look him up. He's a real guy. And I'm, it's a real experience I had. Uh, people, other people were in the room that can corroborate the story. Um, but it solves so many problems. This, this uh, vector, equilibri vector equilibrium matrix holds all other geometry. It actually will hold 
cube. It will hold the tetrahedron. Um, here's a small model of it right here. And mm, if I- What stone is that? Just right. This is like a marble. If I hold it just right, it's very easy to see the sixness mm -hmm. of the, the hexagon. Almost looks like a the, Merkaba. If I hold it another way, and I just have to keep spinning it to find it, you will see the fourness of it. You will oh, see. Oh, yeah. Looks yeah. like a cube. So this will hold the threes, the fours, the sixes, the twelves that other geometric forms won't hold, meaning it will hold those forms perfectly inside of it. Mm -hmm. So, so I call this the mother matrix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so where do you see all of this taking us as humanity? We're finding, we're getting droplets of this information here or there. People are coming together. We're putting the pieces of the puzzle together. But where do you see this taking us? Um, to our next level. I mean, truly, that's the way I end my lectures yeah. is all of this information right now, we have sort of ignored the keys and codes. We have ignored the 12s that are all over the world. And it's with us every day, a dozen donuts, 12 months, 12 astrological signs, 12 gods, you know, 12 saints, 12 disciples, all that we've been ignoring. Why 12? We don't even think about it. And the 60s, I mentioned some of the significance of 60s. We, we ignore those as well. And it's like the communication has been happening. And what I explain it to people, have you ever heard of an escape room? Mm-hmm. So escape room. Many of those, yeah. Yeah, they're they're like an entertainment venue. You go into a place that was designed by engineers. Yeah. That um, it's a often cramped and scary uh, sort of place, and you have a time limit and codes and clues are all over, hidden in plain sight, all over this room. And if you figure out how to apply them, you get to up level. I think that's exactly a micro version of what we are living in a macro version is these codes and clues have been all around us for thousands of years waiting to be applied the correct way. And when we do, we will up level. We will escape this particular system. It doesn't mean we leave the planet. We will es escape the duality, escape the division, escape the idea that we kill ourselves to bring peace, escape the idea that we can pollute our home planet and keep living on it. That's what I think, and that's where I think we're going, that when we apply this information in the way that it was meant to be applied, whether it's in physics or sound frequency or geometry, we are going to somehow be expanded just in our way of thinking or rationalizing or understanding, and we will up-level as a species. And that's my hope. That's why I will keep doing this until I'm no longer on the planet. And 10 years ago, I didn't know what sacred geometry was even was, so I'm on my I'm on my purpose and mission. That's an accelerated path that you're on then, really. It has been accelerated, and yet it hasn't been beyond my ability. Um, there are times when I don't get information, and I feel like, oh, was that it? You know, am I out of the stream? Mm -hmm. am, am I not uh, getting any more because I didn't share enough, or did I not do as much work you as I get integrated? It's almost like, no, it's kind of to keep you sane. Yeah, yeah. If, the, if, if too much information, I'm kind of convinced, if too much unfiltered cosmic information comes in, we might call that a psychotic breakdown. That's right. People that on the street that are just like, yeah. the star people are coming down and the geometric forms and all this, and you just go, okay, yeah, maybe, right? You think they're crazy? I think they're just receiving too much information before they have the capability to deal with it. And right. so I'm actually grateful for the pauses 
and the, the resting periods and the, the meditation cycles that I can think about this stuff rather than just being bombarded with new aspects and parts. It comes, but it, it's, it comes in a way that I can deal with it now. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that you said it that way because I find that in my own journey as well is that you, there's all these times where you get all this information and everything kind of floods in and then it's quiet. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of question yourself, but did that actually happen? Yeah. Was that right. real? Oh, sure, yes. <laughs> right? So, yeah, no, I really- We might be saying that about our earth experience once we're off of it. You know, it's- almost, 100%, yeah. A lot of people are looking at this COVID experience and almost being, looking at their lives pre-pandemic and with this feeling like, did that even happen? I mean, the things we used to do, the holidays, the way we used to do it, all that stuff, was that- real and are we creating some new system for ourselves where we do things differently i think it's very possible in a in a positive way not in a you know gosh we're locked down we can't do the fun things we're just not going to be locked into the cycles where we did those things without even knowing why we did them anymore right shopping and all these things we are going to open up to a new bandwidth of experience and uh, information yeah that's exactly it. It's this new higher energy, that form of intelligence coming in, that it's coming into our cellular body. It's coming into us and we, that's how we're connecting to it. And we just don't realize it because nobody's ever explained it to us like that before. I think, and I, and I think we're just getting started. You know, if you yeah. really think about our species, if you go back 6,000 years, we didn't have the written language. We didn't have the technology, we, not even the rudimentary aspects of it. Look at, we want to think, oh, we're so advanced. Our experience here as modern humans, modern civilization is only 6,000 years old. It's the blink of a blink of a blink of an eye in the grand scheme of things. So I would want people to almost be hopeful and give ourselves a break that we are maybe just taking our first baby step out of the fear-driven existence, running away from the saber-toothed tiger and having each other for food and land and resources that we can move into unity consciousness where we will just wake up and like that dream state go is that the way we really used to do it if we had a disagreement we just killed each other i know and, it it, and we were doing sense. it in the name of peace <laughs> like how yeah when you put it like that that is exactly what we were doing that yeah. was how it was presented but it we didn't think of it that way like we just thought well this is the way it has it was it was always this right. way so this is the way it's got to be well, right. I'm sorry, but the COVID is, um, how can I say this? The changing experience. This is, yeah. this, this is what needs be, to happen. It could be pivotal to the, to the Great Awakening. Um, mm -hmm. There's unsettling things that are going on in Canada, United States. I mean, mm -hmm. all over the world, there's a lot of unsettling resistance. And I think um, rather than the resistance, consider it that this could be because it is a global event. It is yeah. happening, affecting everybody on the planet. It's like the first thing other than a world war. And there's plenty of countries in the world wars that weren't involved at all. This involves everybody. Nobody's yeah. not heard of COVID. Nobody doesn't hear the stories of people either dying or one cause or another, whatever it is. But what it has done is brought us all into a same moment talking about the same yeah, thing. Sir. Mm -hmm. And that is a potential for something very profound, because what if the new same thing we start talking about is unity consciousness? How do we get out of this and not build 
a world that's just ever more divided and blaming and shaming and all that. These models to me with a zero point, all these models share one thing. They have the zero point perfectly in the middle. That's the neutral zone. Like in Star Meditation. It's, you it's wanna, neither yeah. this side or that side fighting. You need the center point and this side and the opposite side, exactly opposite. You need that balance. You right. need that structure, but you don't need the charge of hate and blame and shame and divisiveness. And it's interesting because, yeah, meditation, that's the whole point is to come back to that zero point neutrality where everything is just okay, you know, and there, there is no charge of emotion. There's no electric charge this way or that way, exactly the way you explained it. That, that is beautiful. Your eternal self, if you believe in it, and most people do in one form or another, most people, yeah. your eternal soul has zero fear about COVID, vaccines, wars, death, anything. If we can it's not about that of death and attached to your eternal soul that already knows it's connected to the whole thing that it is already living in unified consciousness it's just allowing us in our physical form to try and figure it out and hopefully get to the same place merge our 3d existence with our maybe you call it your 5d existence that's the shift that is the beginning of the aquarian age whatever you want to call it and i believe we are vibrating there's a tension that wants to just go, okay, we've done this long enough, let's go yeah. and pop. And the people that are outside of this model on the furthest fringe of this model kind of goes back to Jesus' words that sound kind of mis mysterious. The last, meaning the, the people on the outside, will be the first after the pop. Yeah. The last, the fringe people here will be the first in, in organizing the new reality and understanding it and creating a whole new matrix of, of living around it like you <laughs> i hope it happens <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna die believing it's possible and we have hope yeah well because everything that if you are awake if you are looking if you are asking questions if you are consciously connecting to your higher self or whatever method that you do you can't deny that things are changing yeah. and all of these prophecies like that have been told especially the Nostradamus, I, that's, those are doomsday ones, but we've passed that timeline. We've passed that point in history and yet we're still here. Right. So there's something bigger that's coming out of this. Well, we'll just take the word apocalypse. I mean, the apocalypse yeah. has been sold to Christians as the end of the world, the apocalypse. That's not what it means at all. It's a Greek word that means the great revealing. So I would think we are in the great revealing and we're not excuse me, we're not ending the story, hopefully. And same thing with the mind calendar. Everybody, doomsday in 2012. They never said that. It's like an odometer in a car. It gets to 100,000 miles and shifts. And it just rolls over. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's much more realistic. But I do think we want to be conscious of our power of creation. We yes. are now aware of the powerful creators we are. We mm -hmm. We can manipulate genetics, we can manipulate DNA, we can clone, we can copy, we can uh, do all these things. We need to be pretty on point with our consciousness um, to, to match our technology. And that kind of brings uh, an invitation into the AI world. Uh, you know, everything is sort of a double-edged sword and opportunity from here with great stakes and you know, with great responsibility. And so with great wisdom <laughs> comes great responsibility or, or however that, that yeah. saying goes. We're, we're 
we're so much more informed than we were even 50 years ago, but certainly say 500 years ago when people were arguing about religion and science and how things worked. We're, we know a lot, but we need to apply the a lot we know into the unified field, not into the division field. Yeah, and that's just it. And we don't want a repeat of <laughs> Atlantis, period. Yeah. Right. That's just it, right? That and just that's ends the story quickly. Yeah, yeah. That, that ends the story quickly. That is the the great ending um, that just says, and it, even then, Atlantis wasn't a, an ending. Ending. It was setting the stage for a reboot. Yeah. I'm not a complete literal, uh, you know, Atlantis believer because it's hard to. But allegorically, and I believe that so many important stories are allegorical, including the Jesus story. Just great information that came through. Mm -hmm. But the Atlantis and the Lemuria stories are offering us. Um, keen insight into managing um, technology with consciousness for the greater good of all, meaning all things in all dimensions. If we can't do that, it will. We are heading to a short story. It just says, all right, da 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 da, da a bomb. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. No, we did that. Remember Hiroshima? Yeah, we, we did that. We <laughs> did that already. Want, it didn't work out very well. We don't no. want to keep doing that. It's, no. Uh, Poisons yeah. the, for the people it doesn't kill. Uh, you know, if you did a whole giant nuclear uh, war, it would make the un the planet uninhabitable for most species. Yeah. So, it's uh, we want to take what we've learned and apply it in the best way we can apply it. And the best way we can apply it is to think about everything, yeah. everything, because we're connected. And that's the thing with sacred geometry is that it shows how everything is connected, intertwined, and you right. even you Overlapping. mentioned infinity yes, exactly. symbol and yeah, like. In multi dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, wow. That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the show, for just sharing your information with your work. And um, it's definitely solidified a lot of the things that I believe myself. And it's really, you know, it, it's interesting that you were mentioning earlier that you were never into math, you were never into geometry, that wasn't something that you wanted to do in this lifetime, mm -hmm. but yet your path took you there. So it would, would you, um, what advice would you have for somebody that's, you know, in that place where they, they've never ventured into this kind of world before, but they feel the pull, but they having that fear, like, what would you, what advice would you give them? I'd say consider yourself way more special than you might think you are, because I think every living human on this planet and potentially other species, dolphins and stuff, are have all the hardware and software they need to up-level or support the up-level experience. Um, we have a pineal gland. Mm -hmm. Mammals have a pineal gland that seem to serve different purposes, and I believe that it is like a little receiver um, right in the dead center of your brain that looks like a little pine cone that reveals um, this structure, when you get down to it, uh, counter-rotating against itself, that's what the pineal pattern is, is two spirals counter-rotating against themselves based on that design. Um, we all have that ability to receive the information. So whether it happens in a, a quiet meditation or it happens in the way you live your life or the things that you learn, but just believe that you are entirely capable and worthy as much as anybody is to receive the information and start implementing it. And simple again, you know, do unto others. That would be a very simple place to start. If you wouldn't want to be treated a certain way, 
don't treat other people that way. That's the beginning almost of unity consciousness is to have reverence for the reverence you want for yourself, have that same reverence for others. That invites you into the field. Uh, and I think from there, you will not be let down by the way you will be guided on a path of expansion, exploration, mystery, um, awakening. It, it just comes. You don't even have to really work that hard. To it, it, I didn't. I'm no genius for sure. I sold boats, you know, most of my life as a, as a, for a living and playing a band. Um, certainly nothing related to this, and yet the information came. Yeah. So if it comes to me, I think it could absolutely come to anybody and and beyond. I mean, I. There are, I did this leg of the work knowing that I would not be able to take it to the next level, but there are physicists and technicians who have taken this information and applied it to next level things, which is what I always thought and would hope would happen as long as it was for the greater good. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming you, on Trisha. and sharing everything. And I look forward to following your work and see what else comes from it. We'll, we'll just see, I, you know, the, the videos take a long time to promote, but I'm always finding some way to share. I share small, I think there's nothing wrong thinking um, I should be reaching, you know, millions or tens of thousands of people. I'm, I'm comfortable in reaching the people who I reach in organic conversations and, you know, something like this didn't exist. Who knows how many people will watch it, but um, just, uh, I, I think we've been uh, conditioned somewhat to think we, we need these mass numbers. Uh, to have effect. I don't believe we need the mass numbers to have effect. Quality, I think the right yeah. message and the right information is far more important. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. You have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and letting me be a part of your journey. Please be sure to click subscribe and leave a review so you can help this podcast grow. If you connected with this message, feel free to share it. I hope that your journey is an exciting one filled with passion and joy from here on out. Much love.